0: Today, on Bread for the Broken, with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Bread for the broken.
1: I got everything here. All my stuff's here. All my family's here. All my friends live in this city that, yeah, it's anti-God, but it's comfortable. It's time to come away from that. It's time to come home there's there's a promise and the promise is not for babylon the promise is for jerusalem the promise is not for the babylonians the promise is for the israelites
0: the promise is for his people we need to come back home do you feel stuck in circumstances that are beyond your control are you at the point of giving up because you've done everything you can do on your own Well, today, Pastor James wants you to know that no matter how dire your circumstances are, God will always be there to clean you up and set you free. Stop wasting your time trying to do it all and let God carry your weight. Be transformed inside and out by the power of His free gift of grace. Change the trajectory of your life forever through God's perfect love. Now, here's Pastor James in the book of Zechariah chapter 2 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken.
1: So we're going through the book of Zechariah. This is a a tremendous book. The whole, I think the overall theme for Zechariah, like I said, is hope. It's a post-captivity prophecy uh, book. So it's all concerning when Israel has been set free from Babylon, and now they get to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And uh, that actually started for us with Haggai. And uh, and so he had a, you know two chapters and he's trying to motivate the people to get busy and, and building the temple. And you know, when you're standing among you know amongst a bunch of ruins, it's kinda hard to be excited about what's to come, you know, or the future in that sense. And so Zechariah being a contemporary of Haggai, Haggai is the older guy, and Zachariah, as we'll see in chapter two, he's a young man. Uh, there's thoughts that he's might be in his 20s, OK? Uh, but he he gets these visions, eight visions specifically, that are meant to encourage the people of God to finish, like, just finish what you start. Like, let's just go for it. And he also has really clear, distinct visions and, and prophetic messages concerning Jesus as a Messiah. Like, you can't get any clearer than some of the visions that he has. So we went through chapter 1 last and you know we started off with uh, a couple of visions that he had. And there was a man amongst the, the myrtle trees. And this was, this was like the four horsemen that we saw beginning. And uh, I didn't elaborate too much on to those guys. There's a lot of thoughts on who these guys are. More specifically, the one sitting on the red horse, a lot of commentaries would say that that's the angel of the Lord, which would be um, Jesus, OK? And then there's some commentaries that are out there, guys that I respect, that would say, no, nah, it's probably not him. I think it is. It seems like it is, because the angel of the Lord is referenced in verse 11, and says that's usually always kind of pointing to Jesus. And so is Jesus sitting on a red horse? What's red horse? Red horse is typically that of war. So I don't know. It's certainly nothing to like get into any kind of church fights about, right? It's like, come on, it's. It'd be silly if we, uh, if we split over some of these things. But I tend to think it's, it's Jesus. The other horsemen or riders on horses, it's, technically it could mean that there was more than four. And so that's probably angels and the hierarchy of angels and all that. So it's like Jesus is on his horses, and he's got guys. He has angels that have to report to him about what's happening on this planet. Not because he needs them to, but because that's the system he has set up, right? Like, Jesus knows everything. So this is like the first vision that, that uh, Zechariah has. And, and then we go into chapter two. So we're going to cover chapter two and three today because they, they kind of flow together. But chapter two is a very, um, it's just a very simple breakdown in one sense. But he's, he's looking ahead at the prosperity of Jerusalem. There's going to be three Ps that we'll see a promise, proclamation and praise. So this is one of those chapters where it's like, this should motivate you kind of get you going, right? So chapter two, verse one says, when I looked again, I saw a man with a measuring line in his hand. Where are you going? I asked. He replied, I'm going to measure Jerusalem to see how wide and how long it is. Then the angel who was with me went to meet a second angel who was coming toward him. The other angel said, hurry and say to that young man, that's Zechariah, Jerusalem will someday be so full of people and livestock that there won't be enough room for everyone. Many will live outside the city walls. Then I myself will be a protective wall of fire around Jerusalem, says the Lord. And I will be the glory inside the city. So here's, like, so here's, here's another vision that he has. And this angel shows up with the tape measure. And Zachariah's is like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, I'm measuring my city. Now, he doesn't say that, but that's exactly what's happening. Okay, Because he's, he's measuring, he's taking measurements because Jerusalem belongs to God. And that's the promise. And that's that's his promise. God owns this city. He owns Jerusalem. And so he's going, he sends a messenger with the tape measure, is the best way I can explain this, and to make measurements, to get the measurements. And you don't take measurements unless you're going to do something about it. OK? Unless you're just strange and you want to know how wide and long certain whatever it's like no you you measure with purpose and that's exactly what's happening here god's like that's my city i need the measurements because it's going to be so packed with people everybody won't even fit which is kind of crazy because this is one of those prophecies where it's like was this like jesus time like that's because jerusalem did kind of swell up around that time like population wise Or is this talking about like future stuff? And the answer to that would probably be yeah, yes, and yes, yeah, sure. Um, The main point of it for I think for us today is the fact that Jerusalem belongs to God, and He has plans for His city. He has plans for a city, and there will be a new heaven, new earth. There will be a new Jerusalem, and uh, and you can get into all the dimensions of that. It's pretty pretty wild, but. Here, God is communicating to Zechariah, who's in the midst of a people who are just discouraged. Because it's like, rebuild for what? Why? It's rubble. And half of us aren't even here. Like, so what are we doing? Half of us aren't even here. The other half, we'll see in a second, they're still in the world. They're still in Babylon. Like, not everybody came back. So not everybody's like into this like rebuilding the temple thing. But I'm here, and all I see is rubble. And Zachariah gets his vision from God. He's like, no, 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 that's my city. You keep showing up, put in the work, clear the debris, lay the foundation, let's build this thing, because I got plans. I got plans. And we need to build this, because whatever you think, you know, whatever we think is going to be best or built to handle whatever, God's like, you don't even know. You don't even know. Like, you can't quantify the end result. And that's oftentimes how God works in our lives, I think. It's like I got plans, and God's like, look, I just I'm gonna make the measurements. I just need you to clear debris. Just clear the rubble, like just clear the debris. Because we're gonna build something, but I'm taking the measurements, and I'll be the one who brings the people. And I'll and and there is a blessing that comes with that. All I need you to do is just keep showing up, clear the debris, let's build a temple, right? And so this is God's doing because it's God's city, it's his town, it's his temple. Everything belongs to him, including us. We belong to him. New Testament times, we are part of the temple. We're just, we're, we're bricks that are being used to construct this thing called the church, right? So you, everybody has a place, but it's his church. It's his building. It's his body. It's his bride. We're a part of that. All right, Lord, you just do what you want to do. And... uh Help me to keep other people motivated. This is the position where Zachariah is at. So that's that first vision, but it's just insane the the visions that this kid is getting. He's like probably in his 20s and he's like seeing all these angelic things of like possibly Jesus in chapter one, but then all these other angels and everybody's working and everybody's doing stuff because God is on the move. He's on the move. So there's a good end result coming. There's a promise concerning Jerusalem. There's a promise concerning his people. And the reality of it is this. We need everybody to come. We need everybody to come, right? So verse 6, it says, the Lord says, Come away, flee from Babylon in the land of the north, for I have scattered you to the four winds. Come away, people of Zion. You who are exiled in Babylon, right? Uh, they, the exile is over. Like, here's, here's the, the, here's the, the strange reality concerning captivity. God sent them into captivity for 70 years. Okay. On the day of the 70th year, captivity was broken. And so they had the, they had complete freedom to go from Babylon back to Israel. And only a handful of them went. Only a few of them went. A lot of people got really comfortable living in Babylon. A lot of people who are, I mean, especially ones who were born in Babylon. They weren't born in Israel. But they, they got so comfortable with, and Babylon is, could be a picture of the world. They got so comfortable just living in the world. And then when God's calling you home, it's like, come on. I need you here. I need you here. Well, kind of like where I'm at. Kind of like the world. I mean, I got everything here. All my stuff's here. All my family's here. All my friends live in this city that, yeah, it's anti-God, but it's comfortable. It's time to come away from that. It's time to come home. There's, There's a promise, and the promise is not for Babylon. The promise is for Jerusalem. The promise is not for the Babylonians. The promise is for the Israelites. The promise is for his people, We need to come back home, who we are, where we should be, how we should live our lives. Babylonians will be blessed by it. They will. The overflow will happen to them. We'll see that in a second, too. But you don't belong in Babylon. You belong in Israel. You belong in Jerusalem. And there's a truth there for us. There's an application point for us who are living in this world, but we're not of this world. So be in the world. Don't be of the world. This world is not your home. This place is not it. It's not it. And this is a sad representation of it. If this is it, this is pretty sad, all right? This is like, I'm disappointed, God, right? Like, if this is it, and some people try to tell me that, you know, that, well, this is the millennial reign. That's garbage, right? Like, and I don't believe that. Like, if this is it, man, then i missed something. It got gypped, That's exactly right. This isn't our home. That's not our home. Jeremiah has a portion in his book where he talks about for the people being deported to Babylon, build houses, plant vineyards, like do like be there, live there, pray for the city and all that good stuff. That's for the ones going into captivity. That's done, though. Now it's time to go home. Now it's time to go home. So now it's like, no, no, go back to Jerusalem. We got a temple to rebuild. Why do we need to rebuild the temple? Because God's like, because that's my town. That's my city. And I know it doesn't look good right now, but the city will be overflowing. And this is how he works. He works, he's, he's always like moving so many steps ahead of us that it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, welcome to the church world, right? Like, he's constantly asking us, build sheep stalls. Why? Where are the people? He's like, no, 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 build the sheep stalls so I can bring the sheep. Well, no, no, you need to bring the sheep, then we can build the sheep stalls. He's like, that's backwards. You need to prepare for the blessing. You need to prepare for the people. Zechariah and and those, the remnant there in Israel, he's like, build the temple. Rebuild the walls. But where are the people? Don't you worry about the people. I'll bring the people. Build the walls. And and he's going to use Zechariah as the prophet to encourage the people who are just, they're bummed out. They're bummed out because they're like, half my family's not even here. Like, it's, well, rebuilt for what? Rebuild for his promise. Because yeah. the Lord honors his word. That's right. So he's, he's calling them back. Verse 8, it says, after a period of glory, the Lord's, Lord of Heaven's army sent me. The Lord of Heaven's army is, uh, you could say, Yahweh there. Uh, he sent me against the nations who plundered you. For he said, anyone who harms you harms my most precious possession. Like, you don't get more intimate than that, OK? Of how, like, how God feels about you. It's um, the, the better way of translating that, I think, uh, other than what the New Living Translation do, does here is, uh, you're the apple of my eye. He's like, or you're the pupil of my eye. It's the, it's the part of the eye that we really want to protect, Okay, it's but it's, it you don't want anything flying into that part of your eye. Like you really want to protect that. It should mean something to you. And this is what God says. He's like, if anybody messes you, messes with you, they're 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 messing with the apple of my eye. Like that's how he feels about you. That's how he feels about the uh, the Jews. But it also can be applied to you if you're one of his kids. He cares that much about you. He's like, somebody messes with you. They're messing with the apple of my eye, my most precious possession. And that's me? He's like, yeah, that's you. You're my most precious possession. Well, I don't, I don't think I I don't think I'm worthy of that. He's like, of course you're not. You're not worthy of it. That's why it's called grace. And that's why it's mercy. He's like, that's why my love is perfect and yours is not. That's why my faithfulness in this relationship is absolutely perfect. Yours isn't the best, but you are my most precious possession, is what God is saying, first and foremost, to the nation of Israel. Then I, I believe it is perfectly fine to apply this to yourself. He says, I'll raise my fist to crush them, and, I will, uh, and their own slaves will plunder them. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's army has sent me. The Lord says, shout and rejoice, O beautiful Jerusalem. Here's our our proclamation of praise, okay? There's going to be a new beginning for Jerusalem, destruction for the world, and anybody who comes, who opposes God's people. And now here's our, you know, our, our proclamation for praise. You and I should be praising him. He says, shout and rejoice, O beautiful Jerusalem, for I am coming to live among you. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day and they too will be my people. What a beautiful promise. God, and in God, this is God telling his people of Israel who are his special possession and his selected people. He's like, Oh, it goes beyond you. He goes, it goes way beyond you. It, this applies to other peoples as well. Um, I will live among you and you will know that the Lord of heaven's army sent me to you. The land of Judah will be the Lord's special possession in the Holy Land. He will once again choose Jerusalem to be his own city. Verse 13, be silent before the Lord, all humanity, for he is springing into action from his holy dwelling, which is incredible. So Jerusalem belongs to God. It's his city. He's taking measurements. He's got plans. And he makes this proclamation that there's going to be a new beginning for Jerusalem. And there's going to be destruction for anybody that messes with his his chosen people. And that should directly result in us praising him because you're one of his kids. Because you're one of his kids. If you're one of his kids, you don't have to fear destruction. You don't have to live in that, that fear of, like, God's going to destroy me. There is a you should fear God. Number one, and I'm, yes, that reverent fear, absolutely. You should still have some fear towards God because he's God. That's, and you know, he's God Almighty, but you, there's not this cowering fear of like, he's going to destroy me. No, you're his kid. He's going to protect you. He's got your back. You're his special possession. You are just like he says, the apple of my eye. And that should be all the reason we need to sing praises to him. And not just sing praises, but to live a life of praise. Like in everything that we do. Because we know something better is coming. And what a day it'll be. When when this like so we see like a, a little bit of a fulfillment of this prophecy when Jesus does show up, the first advent, like he comes in the incarnation and he was there. He lived among them, and they knew him not. And then they ended up crucifying him, right? Just just like he said it was going to happen. But there will come another day where he comes back, and the eyes of Israel will be opened up. And, and just imagine how beautiful, how amazing that's going to be when all of his followers get to dwell together with him as the center of it all. And there's, he's like, there's not going to be enough room. It's going to be amazing. But a good, something good for us to kind of apply to our lives is verse 13. Be silent before the Lord, all humanity, for he is springing into action from his holy dwelling. So there should be this element of like, just kind of, just be quiet. He's on the move. And it's kind of that, that thing of like, I don't know, if, if you're watching a movie and you know like the suspense is building, Right? And if you're one of, there's two types of movie watchers. There's ones who watch the movie, and then there's ones who talk through the movies. Right? (laughs) Like, I'm talking about the ones who actually just sit there and watch the movie. Okay, Like, the tension's building, and you're just like, don't say nothing. I think something's about to happen. Right? Like, nope, nope. Uh, In my house, there's different movie watchers. And I'll let you sort out who is who. But it's just this holy hush kind of a thing that happens. Where you're like, something's about to go down. And, and this is what God's saying. He's like, something's about to go down. Yeah, I'm coming back. Do we know when? No, of course we don't. Um, does it feel like it could be any day now? Yeah, it does. And, and I know people have been saying that for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. Um, but it kind of really does feel like it could be any moment now. Like nobody's living in the, in, in the day and age we, we live today. I mean, there's, it's insane. The things that are lining up. So if, if anything, that should just stir within us this thing of like, I think he's about to do something. And I don't want to miss a moment of it. And that's what he's saying. He's like, I'm springing into action. So hold on tight. Sit down, button your lip, and just uh, enjoy the ride. Because uh, it's about to go down, is kind of what the Lord is saying here. So, so you have that. And then you, he, he goes right into chapter 3, which is, I mean, the whole letter is just one continual thing. It's not like. Zechariah sits down. And he's like chapter two, verse one, right? And then oh, now it's time for chapter three. It's just all continuous, and so he goes right into verse one of chapter three. He says, "Then the Lord showed me Joshua, or as the New Living Translation says, Joshua. Okay, but it's it's Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, the accuser, Satan. Okay." Uh, the accuser is, he is the accuser. In case you haven't, you know, had this encounter with him yet, you must be new to Christianity. But um, he stands in the presence of the Lord and he makes accusation about you. I don't, I can't say all the time because he's not omnipresent and he's not omniscient and he's not, he doesn't know everything, okay? But he does make a case against Christians, He does. Just read the book of Job, okay? It says, the accuser Satan was there at the angel's right hand making accusations against Joshua. So here's the high priest who has no temple because it needs to be rebuilt, but nobody's rebuilding the temple because they're all disappointed and they're bombed out because it's like, we keep working, but it doesn't seem like we're doing anything. But here you have a high priest who has like, no place to serve. And as he's standing before the Lord, the accuser is standing right next to the high priest, making accusations about Joshua. Here's what you need to know concerning your relationship with Satan, who used to be your dad. All right? All right? You got at one point in time, whether you like it or not, you were on his side. Okay, I know that's a hard reality. That's like, I was never pro Satan. I didn't say you're pro Satan or anything. Like, I didn't, but at one point in time, you belonged to him. Like, you were on his side. Okay, that's why you're transferred from darkness into light. You were reborn into the family of God. Okay, so now you can cry out to God as your Abba, as your Papa. But Satan is right there making accusations. It says he's making accusations against Joshua.
0: You've been listening to Bread for the Broken in a series that you just don't want to miss. Pastor James Grizzle has been walking through the messages that God gave to the prophets in the times that Judah and Israel were not only holding God at arm's length, but also suffering under oppression. It doesn't sound too different than when I let my own selfishness drive my decisions. Am I alone in that? What's amazing to me is that God's love for His children isn't conditional. I love that it's not dependent on what I do or what I don't do, but He does desire an authentic relationship with you and me—a friendship that isn't second-best. I urge you to not replace him with the things of this world that eventually fade away. Will you join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. or Thursday night at 7 p.m. to hear more of God's Word? For those of you that can't make it in person, don't worry. We live stream all of our services just for you. So find us on Facebook today. We like to keep faith simple and uncomplicated. So if you're looking for that and a laid back atmosphere, then you'll be right at home with us. To find out more, head on over to breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. While you're there, look around a little. You'll find our location, a bunch of archived messages, and a place to give to the ministry. We'd love to have you partner with us as we praise the mighty name of the Lord Jesus together. And with that, we're coming to the end of our time together today. We're so glad you decided to spend your day with us here on Bread for the Broken.
2: Let me paint the picture of you.